It's so good to see everybody. Hey, there's some room down here in the front row for those of you in the back if you want to come and grab a seat because you make me nervous when you're hovering over me. I'm kidding. Um, it's so good to see you guys. It feels like it's been forever since we've been together in one place. I think the last time we were, I think, mostly together was Winter Conference. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's good to be here. So last week we had our service canceled. I had this sermon all prepared. It was 5 o'clock. I was excited to give it, and then I looked outside, and it was covered in snow, so we called last week's service, and then this week we had uh, some crazy cold, as you know, and I thought, hey, we can't cancel two weeks in a row, so we rescheduled for Thursday night in here, and it's good to be in this space. This space has a special place in our hearts. If you heard Derek talking about this place having power, you, and you don't know our story, you're probably like, what in the world is he talking about? Um, and so anyways, what this place means to us is back in 2011, I was a freshman, Okay, it's about seven years ago, and we held our very first Kyle service ever in this room. And uh, if you throw up a picture here, that's a picture from, in, or from 2011, and there's about 20 of us in that group, and there's this, this just raw passion in that group. There's this drive and this fire because there's only 20 of us, and everyone had to take responsibility for the ministry. Uh, this guy named Jonathan had planted the Chi Alpha, and he casted this vision. He said, one day... I want us to be meeting in the Unidome, okay? We're still working towards that. But, uh, and these students really ran with it. And just for example, if you're on the worship team, if you played a musical instrument, you had to play every single week. You didn't get weeks off because there wasn't enough people to get weeks off. So every week at 5 o'clock, we'd show up and we'd set up the sound system here. Yeah, so there you go. There's me on the drums with the black earring. Don't judge me for that. Spent a lot of time in that back corner. Um, so, so anyways... Um, the point is, though, um, everyone, because the community was so small, everyone had to take responsibility for it. And not only that, there's this passion, because there's something, there's something when a movement first starts, like there's this, this raw passion and drive, because the movement's just getting off the ground, people are coming together for the first time, and it creates this, this synergy of passion. And, and for instance, we would not stop our services until like 10 p.m., 10, 15 sometimes, because people wanted to keep worshiping. And tonight we're going till, I think, midnight, so be ready for that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there's just this passion. There's this fire, this drive. And, and uh, yeah, there's just this, Taylor, thank you. This is such a small room. I just want to have conversation with all of you. Uh, but anyways, there's this beautiful raw hunger that only happens typically when a ministry is first starting. And something I've noticed through observing successful churches and, and Christian movements is they always seem to start out with this passion and this commitment among the members. Every person counts, as I said, so it creates this atmosphere of passion and commitment. However, as the movement grows, it becomes an institution, and there's, and there's less of a sense of a personal commitment for the movement, and the passion begins to wane. People begin going through the motions, and they slide into apathy or complacency, and as a result, the movement loses what it had at first, and it loses ground. So, for example, every dying denomination in the United States, you can picture them now, you've probably been to some of them, you know, dying churches, they all started out with an incredible founder who had passion for God, who loved Jesus with his whole heart, and at some point, it became an institution. At some point, it became about preserving that institution, and it was less about God. And that's why those denominations are starting to die, because they don't have that passion that they had at first. I don't believe that this has happened to our community probably because there's a new group of students every single year as college campuses keep a revolving door. It creates a sense of, of newness and passion every year. 
But I think it's something we need to be aware of as an organization, as a movement of God, but also in our personal relationships with Jesus. Okay, so some of you have grown up in the church, you have known Jesus your whole life, and the tendency, if you've been familiar or familiar with Jesus, is over time you lose that sense of passion, that sense of love that you had for him at first, you lose the sense of responsibility for your faith, he becomes just kind of part of your life, he, he takes a backseat to other priorities, and then your faith becomes apathetic, your spiritual health becomes unhealthy, or spiritual passion, this health that you had at first becomes unhealthy. It becomes uh, this complacent thing that's, that's dying in your life. So for you, maybe you once loved Jesus and you put him first, but now you've put a relationship over him. Or maybe you put school over him. Or maybe you put a hobby over him, like building, uh, like model airplanes. Like that is something you're putting over Jesus. I'm kidding. I just saw a TV show where they're building a model airplane. It popped in my head. All right, so... <laughs> The possibilities are endless of what we can place over Jesus. And tonight, I believe that Jesus wants us to make a commitment to take responsibility for our faith and to make him our number one priority. He wants to call us back to our first love and refuse to slide into spiritual apathy or complacency. So what does apathy mean? Hopefully you know that if you're in college. If you don't, I'm not judging you. This is what it means. It's a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Tonight, I believe that Jesus is going to set us free from this. If you live in America and you're a Christian, chances are you struggle with spiritual apathy because you have everything you need most of the time. You don't have a desperation for God. I struggle with apathy, so this isn't at you. We all, every person in this room struggles with spiritual apathy. Everyone, none of you are exempt, so this message is for you tonight. It's for me tonight. And I believe that Jesus wants to spark something in our hearts tonight and take us out of complacency, take us out of apathy and Bring us into the sense of responsibility for our faith and into the sense of passion and commitment and this do-whatever-it-takes attitude for our faith. All right, so with that said, to, to kick off the semester, I felt like the Lord wanted to take us through some different spiritual mountains that stand in our way and talk about how he can move these mountains, okay? So the first week, we talked about fear and talked about how trusting God can move the mountain of fear. And then the second week, which is tonight, which seems like it should be the fourth week, is uh, talking about moving uh, the mountain of apathy and replacing it with the sense of spiritual responsibility. And this whole series comes from Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. It says this, Truly I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and, and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I believe that mountains that have towered over us for far too long are going to be moved this year in the name of Jesus. I believe that. I believe that there's some mountains standing in your way, whether it's pornography, whether it's apathy, whether it's uh, an unhealthy relationship, whether it is anything. I don't know what it could be for you. You're thinking about it right now. And I believe that in 2019 that Jesus wants to move that mountain, that he wants to take first place in your life and set you free from the things that hold you back in your faith. So tonight we're talking about going from apathy to responsibility, and that's the title of the message. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and we're not going to talk about left behind, we're not going to talk about the rapture tonight, if that's what you thought we're going to do. Turn to Revelation 3. If you don't know much about this book, don't worry. Now, I don't think many of us understand it very well, and the people who do think they understand it very well typically don't. Uh, this book is often thought of as a book that predicts the end times, but there's more to it than that. It includes instructions from Jesus in the opening chapter, so we see here in chapter 3, 
on how to stay on track in your faith. So here's what happened. In the first century, there were churches that were begun, okay, churches planted all over the Middle East. And over the years, over the decades, they began to slide into apathy, as we talked about tonight. And Jesus instructed the apostles John to write some letters to these churches, pretty much rebuking them and telling them to, or to come back to their first love. And in Revelation chapter 3, we read a letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea. And to understand this letter, it's important to understand the city. Okay, So the city of Laodicea was at the intersection of three important roads in the ancient world. It was one of the richest commercial centers in the world. So it it was a church in a rich or affluent society, okay? So it's like us. We live in a rich society. We live in an affluent society. America is rich. It's wealthy, right? So I think tonight as we read this, as we read this letter from Jesus to Laodicea, we can put ourselves in their shoes. And specifically, and this is going to come, it's going to be important later, but this, the city was important for banking and for clothing and it was known for its famous medical school. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second. But the point is the city was rich. The city was influential. And Jesus had some things to say to it. This once thriving church had deteriorated by the time of the writing of this letter. Their passion and their responsibility and their drive had waned into compla- their complacency and apathy. Okay, so let's read it. It's, it's uh, Revelation 3, verses 14 through 22. And this is Jesus, okay? And to the angel of the church... In Laodicea, write the words of the Amen and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, and you are neither cold nor hot, and would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, for you say, I am rich, I prospered, and I need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat or come into him and eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so the main idea tonight is this. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, those desks are really incredible, so make sure you use them. Uh, To move the mountain of spiritual apathy, then we must take responsibility for our faith. So to move this mountain, we have to take responsibility for our faith. All right, let's pray over this, and we'll jump into the teaching. So God, we just thank you for tonight. I thank you for every single student here every single staff member, every single visitor tonight. And God, I pray that that you would call us out of apathy because all of us are in it, Lord. No one's exempt. We all fall into complacency. We all fall into spiritual apathy. And I pray tonight that you would spark something inside of our hearts and that you would birth a passion for you that cannot be tamed. So God, I pray that in Jesus' strong name, amen. All right, so I'm going to do what I always do and read a couple verses and then give you what I think about those couple verses, okay? All right, so... 14 through 16 again, so Jesus is writing, it says, it says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold, would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The first thing I got from this passage is this, to move the mountain of spiritual apathy, we have to realize that apathy is a sin. Apathy is a grievous sin. 
John, in describing Jesus, writes, here are the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So what is John doing? He is stressing Jesus' faithfulness. He's saying Jesus is faithful. He's true. Here's the words of the amen. He does this for a very specific reason. He does this because he wants to contrast the faithfulness of Jesus with the, or the faithlessness of the church in Laodicea. Unlike Jesus, the church in Laodicea is neither hot nor cold. They do not share the passion of Jesus. They are not true. They profess Christ, but they don't live like Christ. They cannot be relied upon spiritually. They neither have personal spiritual passion or passion for the lost people in their city. Instead, they are lukewarm, and they are indifferent to the things of God. They are apathetic. Their faith has become ritualistic, and it fails to move them like it once did. By saying that he wishes that the church was either cold or hot, Jesus is saying that outright denial of him is better than being apathetic about him. It's better than claiming Jesus but not living like Jesus. The greatest tragedy in America today is that there's millions of Christians who profess the name of Christ, but they don't live like Christ. That's what Leon Morris said. He said, to profess Christianity while remaining untouched by its fire is a disaster. There is more hope for the openly antagonistic than for the coolly indifferent. If we want to move this mountain, we have to realize that to profess Christ but to remain indifferent about him is a grievous sin that pierces the heart of God. To be spiritually lazy or apathetic is a sin. When our heart is unmoved by the things of God, when we don't spend time with Jesus or proclaim his love and goodness to the world, then we're sinning. To accept the sacrifice that Christ gave us on the cross, but not to accept the transformation that the cross brings is a sin. To be forgiven and receive a ticket to heaven, but to be disinterested in Jesus while on earth is a sin. So to move this mountain, we have to realize that this is a sin that needs to be repented of. It should put us on our knees weeping before the King of Kings. It is grievous that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, gave his life. The God of the universe gave his life for us, and we remain indifferent to him. There's things that are more important than him in our lives. Think about how crazy that is. God lays down his life for us, and we just continue living our life exactly the same way as before we tasted that love. If you truly meet King Jesus, it should change your life. It should cause you to say, I'm going to leave everything else behind. I'm going to run towards Jesus. I have a nephew named Jaden who has the priority of either wrestling, playing video games, or jumping on the trampoline every time I see him. Every time. I'm doing something else. I'm trying to you know, be cool with the adults in the room. But this 10-year-old comes up to me and he says, man, you've got to play with me. And most of the time I tell him, I say, hey, if you can get Derek to play, then I'll play. And I know Derek will never play. So I know that I'm not going to have to play. But then he goes and asks Derek, and, and Derek says no, and then he comes back to me and asks me again if I'll play. I then usually tell him that I'm busy, to which he tries to get me, or to help me uh, get done whatever I was doing before, so I have no excuse. Then I tell him I'm tired, or to that he says, who cares? This is going to be so much fun. Eventually, I give in and say yes almost every time, and we end up you know, jumping on the trampoline, wrestling playing hide-and-seek or playing video games almost every time we're together. It's not because I want to, to be honest with you. It's because he wants to so bad that he'll do whatever it takes to get me to do it, and I just have to give in. The reason I share this is I think it illustrates something important. If something is important enough 
to you, then you will do whatever it takes to make that thing a priority. For some of us, school is a top priority, and it should be a priority in your life. You're here. You're paying lots of money. I don't want you to go into lots of debt and not get a job from it. But if it comes over Jesus, then that's when it, you know, it becomes an issue, right? For others, family is a top priority. We want to please our family and make sure they're happy. And, you know, the Bible says, honor your father and mother, right? But Jesus would never want you to obey your parents if that means you're sinning against God or saying no to something that Jesus asked you to do. For others, guys and girls, but I think a lot of guys I know in this room, sports is a top priority. Like, you're going to watch that Super Bowl, and nothing will stop you from watching that Super Bowl. The point is, we all have priorities, and if something is important to us, we'll make time for it, and it will become a central piece of our lives. So we have to realize that if we're apathetic about the things of God, we are telling Jesus that we don't care about him, that he's not a priority. And this king came and he died for us. He gave his life for us. And to tell this king that he's not important to us is a grievous sin. I don't know if there's a greater sin than that. To put anything above Christ, that's sin right there. So consider this tonight before we get into the message anymore. Ask yourself the question, am I apathetic about Jesus? Can I be real with you guys? Like lately, I've been a little apathetic. Tonight, I wasn't like really prepared to preach. I mean, I prepared the sermon, but I wasn't like feeling it, per se. I've had a tough couple of weeks. I'm not feeling that great. Okay, so I'm saying it first. So I hope that frees you up to say, okay, I am apathetic. Like there's no one perfect in this room, but it starts with us realizing that it is a sin and saying, yes, I've been apathetic, all right? So Revelation 3.17 says this. It says, for you say... I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, that's a weird word, poor, blind, and naked. Second thing tonight is this, to move the mountain of spiritual apathy, we must come to terms with our need for Christ. So like I said, Laodicea was a rich city, it was a self-reliant city, because they were physically comfortable and not relying upon God for daily needs, they became spiritually comfortable and did not rely upon God spiritually. They deceived themselves into thinking that they were good spiritually. Their wealth and attitude of self-reliance led them to miss their spiritual need. This failure to understand your spiritual need leads to spiritual apathy. So think about it. If you think you're good, and you got everything under control, then you're not going to pray as much, right? If you got all the money in the bank, mom's paying for college, uh, you got that brand new car that daddy bought you, everything's good, you're going to be like, okay, I don't need to pray as much. But if your tire's falling off or your, your car breaks down every other week, you might be praying a little bit more, right? I prayed a lot of times for crappy cars. It never works. But uh, I'm kidding. Um, or another example. Yeah, so think about this. You don't pray as much because of that, and then your relationship with Jesus becomes lukewarm. You don't talk to him as much. Another example is if you think you've learned all you need to, or to learn from the Bible, then you're not going to read it as much. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I've read that before. And then if we don't read as much, then we don't absorb the truth every day, and it leads us to being lukewarm. Or if you think you're great at sharing your faith, and you're just an excellent Christian, then you're not going to be compelled to complete the assignment that God has given you. You're going to think, ah, oh, I'm good. And as you don't step out in faith, it's going to cause you to grow lukewarm. The point is, if you think you're good spiritually, then you're going to slide into apathy. Every one of us in this room who thinks we're good, who thinks we've arrived spiritually, I promise you, you will slide into apathy. You're going to slide into complacency. So the second step tonight is to realize that 
if we're going to get out of this apathy and this complacency, we have to realize our deep need for God, our deep, desperate need for him. It's, it's interesting to know that Jesus calls the Laodiceans poor, blind, and naked. He takes a shot at the things that they pride themselves in, okay? So poor, he takes a shot at their banks. And then he says blind, he takes a shot at their medical school. And he says naked, he takes a shot at their clothing industry. He says that these things, these are the things that you found your, or found your significance in. And you need to find your significance in me. You are actually poor, blind, and naked. Your banking system, your clothes, and your medical school don't mean nothing to me. And tonight, what are those things for you? What are those things for you? What are those things that Jesus is saying, hey, that's not that important? Or saying, hey, you can't pride yourself in that. What's that thing? Oh, I grew up in church. Oh, I've read the Bible two times. Oh, I uh, share my faith every day on campus. Oh, I lead a small group. Jesus says, all those things are filthy rags to me. He says, you're actually poor, you're blind, you're naked. I believe tonight that some of us need to repent of taking pride in things other than Jesus and, and standing on those things instead of standing on Jesus and his blood and saying that Jesus is sufficient for me. There's nothing else that's sufficient for you. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't uh, get enough money. You can't do anything uh, to make yourself sufficient outside of Christ, right? Even spiritual things sometimes can replace Jesus. So James 4, 6 says this. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I share that to say, if, if we want to move this mountain tonight, we have to get humble before God. I do not want to be opposed by the king of the universe. Being opposed by God is a scary place to be, but this, the scripture says if you're prideful, then you are opposed by God. So to get out of apathy tonight, to get into vibrancy with God, we have to realize our deep need and, and, and be clothed with humility before God. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The scripture tells us there's nothing we can bring to the table. At the, time, at the same time that each of us were spiritually weak, Christ died for us. It's all him. It's not us. There's nothing that you bring before God that says, okay, now I'm pleased with you. You've been incredible. Instead, if you want to have passion and drive in your faith, you have to be, have a deep need or a deep sense of your need for God. You have to realize, I'm nothing without him. So when I was in college, I had a roommate who was Christian but spiritually apathetic. I felt like he was the definition of spiritually apathetic. I thought of myself as someone who was not spiritually apathetic. I shared my faith. I led a small group. I led worship right in this spot, in this room at Chi Alpha, because I eventually graduated from the drums and played guitar because nobody else could play. I was a terrible singer, but we tried. Um, I read my Bible every day. The point is, I thought I was just awesome. But my roommate professed Christ, but then I would catch him doing some things he shouldn't be doing. I catch him giving to spiritual laziness. In the middle of the semester, I got really frustrated with this guy. I got so frustrated with his spiritual weakness, I began to vent to Emily and vent to God. I had fallen into spiritual pride. I felt superior to him. And before long, I started struggling with the exact same things he was struggling with. I thought I had defeated those things. I thought, oh, he's lower than me. He's still struggling with those things. As soon as I started turning my nose up at him, I started struggling with the same things again. They came back roaring like a lion. I gave in to those sins again. I share that to say, if you want to stay on track in your faith. If you want to not be apathetic, you have to stay humble. 
you have to be humble. It's like, it's like the entry point to Christianity, and you have to stay there, okay? You have to be humble. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and be prideful. It just doesn't, it says in that passage, it says, God opposes the proud. So tonight, I believe some of us need to repent of spiritual pride. Let's do that together. Let's repent tonight. All right. Verse 18 through 20 says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Third thing, to move, the, or to move the mountain of spiritual apathy, we must let Christ have all of us. So Jesus tells the church, he says, buy for me gold refined by fire. Clothe yourself with white garments. Anoint your eyes so that you can see. What is Jesus getting at here? He's saying instead of relying on yourself and on your spiritual achievements, instead of that, you need to throw yourself completely onto Christ, onto him. Specifically, instead of relying on material wealth in your banks, then the Laodiceans actually needed to buy gold refined by fire. In other words, they needed to be or to find richness in Christ alone. Or another example, instead of just wearing their own or their own clothing that they manufactured, they needed to wear the white garments that Christ purchased for them when He died in their place and made forgiveness available. Instead of being known or for their ability to provide physical remedies for blindness through their, through their medical school, they needed to go get real sight from Christ alone who makes us able to see. So with these images, Jesus is trying to get a point across that he is the only way to life and that everything we have comes from him. If we want to move this mountain of apathy, we have to throw our whole trust into Christ alone. We have to throw everything into him, everything, and we have to find our worth in him. We can't find our worth in anything else. It all comes from Christ. We give him our all. And you may read this and be like, okay, Christ is being harsh. He's being kind of mean. Sometimes Jesus can seem a little mean in the text. But to that he says, he says, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. He says, if I love you, I'm going to discipline you. So he's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to be harsh. He's just saying that your apathy is killing you spiritually. So be zealous and repent. Christ only tells us the, tr- or the truth about ourselves because he cares about us, because he loves us. He tells us the truth because he wants to set us free from the things that hold us back. Okay, John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this is our text for next week, so get ready for that. John 8, in five days on Tuesday night. It's going to be incredible. The point is, Jesus tells us the truth so we can find freedom from the things that hold us back. Okay, then in verse 20, Jesus gives us the solution to our pride and apathy. He says, if you want me to set you free, then let me in. He says, I stand at the door and I knock, let me in and eat with me. And oftentimes we read this and we think of salvation, like God's on the outside of our heart knocking. He's like, please let me in and be your savior. But that's not what's happening in this passage. Jesus is talking to Christians. So the image that applies more here is is Jesus standing outside of a church building. Okay, picture your church. He's standing outside the church building. They're inside doing all these spiritual activities. He's knocking on the door saying, can you let me in? Can I be a part of this? Or is it just about your religious activities? He says, let me in. Sometimes we do all these religious things, but we don't let Christ in. And tonight, God is calling us to let him back in. 
not only into this community, I think he's been in this community. Hopefully this is not about us. It might be, though, so we need to, you know, pray about that. But also, as individuals, we need to think about that. Have we been doing a bunch of religious things while keeping Christ out? And tonight we need to let him in, open the door, let him in, and let him have all of us. That's the solution to apathy, is letting Christ, letting Christ reign and rule in our lives. So for me, before I could come back to crisis, right before uh, the school year started in, in 2011, for me, what I needed to have happen, and this is just for me, but for me, I had to hit rock bottom. So I did all the things I never thought I would do. I hit, I hit this rock bottom. I, I realized my deep need for Christ, and I, find, or I finally let him back in and have all of me, and then I got plugged in with Chi Alpha, and God did incredible things. But the point is, I had to hit rock bottom before I could let Christ in because I was too prideful to see that I needed him. And for some of you tonight, I pray that you would not have to hit rock bottom before you see your spiritual bankruptcy. Instead, I pray that you would see this text and just say, Jesus, I repent for putting my faith in other things, for putting things above you, and for finding my worth and satisfaction in things other than you. All right, there's one more point. I know this is heavy, all right? It's heavy. I get it. It's hard. This passage has been, has been rebuking me for two weeks. Thank you, you and I for closing school last week so it could continue to rebuke me this week and then closing it on Tuesday night again. It's been really fun for me, just getting rebuked over and over and over again. So you just have to take it for like 30 minutes, all right? So we got one more point, and we're done. Verse 21 and 22. So after realizing that apathy is a sin and the depths of our sinfulness and letting Christ have all of us, then what happens? Or then what do we do next? Well, all right, Jesus tells us here. He says in verse 21, he says, he says the one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Fourth thing, final thing, this is probably the last thing you have to write down. To move the spiritual mountain, or to move the mountain of spiritual apathy, we must conquer alongside Christ. And you're like, thank you, Captain Obvious. That's what he said. Well, let me explain what conquering means here, okay? So Jesus promises if we conquer, we get to sit with him on the throne, which sounds pretty cool, right? Sitting with God on a throne? Okay, come on. That sounds amazing. I don't know about you. There's someone who are smiling out there. No one's excited. All right, come on. Guys, I think sometimes we read stuff like this, and we're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're going to stand on a throne or sit on a throne above the hundreds of billions of galaxies and, and reign and rule with Christ, but yeah, that's nothing. It's because we're apathetic. Because we've seen it too many times. Come on, let that stir the embers of your heart. Let that just stir something up tonight. Christ has purchased the seat for you on the throne in heaven. That should stir you. That should change you. How can we read these words, including myself, and not be stirred by them, and not be moved by them? So back to what does it mean to be, or to conquer. Well, this is what it means. I think we conquer by making Christ our number one priority. We conquer by taking responsibility for our faith and by walking in the footsteps of the greats who went before us who said, I'm giving everything for Christ, even if that means my life. Following in the footsteps of the apostles whose stories are recorded in the book of Acts, saying, I'm going to give everything for Christ. I'm going to let him have all of me. I'm going to let him purge every last bit of sin and hardness of heart out of my life. I'm going to give everything to see people come to know him on this campus. That's how we conquer. We conquer by actually living out the Christian faith and not having uh, some twisted version of it that fits the American dream and the picture that 
each of us love, which is have a comfortable life, like share your faith twice like throughout your adult life and feel great about it, and go to church every week, and maybe read your Bible on Christmas and Easter. Instead, to conquer means that we actually do what Christ calls us to do. Christ says if you keep his word, then you're going to be his friend. But you have to keep his word. You have to obey him. You have to try to obey him at least. There's going to be times you stumble and fall, but every time you stumble and fall, you come back to Christ and you say, Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you gave everything for me, that you provided forgiveness through your sacrifice on the cross. And God, please help me now to go out from here and to continue living holy. And then you try again, and you actually care. You're not disinterested about the things of God. You don't just sin and say, oh, you know, it's no big deal. Jesus forgives me. But instead, it grieves your heart. All right. I'm going off here tonight. I think something about the CAC makes me kind of crazy. All right. <laughs> and you guys are all so close to me. It just, it just feels like fun. All right. So a couple of things specifically, I think, about conquering. Okay. So the first thing is this, if you, if you want to throw it up there. To conquer. Yeah, go ahead. The next slide. And to conquer, we have real devotion to Jesus. Okay. Uh, so Mark 1.35 says this. It's, it's, it's uh, talking about Jesus. It says, in, in rising very early in the morning, when it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So even Jesus, son of God, thought it was important to pray. He would get up early in the morning and find a desolate place to pray. So for you, get up at five and find your lounge. Get in a corner, put your headphones in and pray. Or find your closet. And Norn, you step in your closet, just have the clothes over your back, you pray. Find a desolate place. I know it's hard on the campus, but find that desolate place and pray. Have intimacy with Jesus. That's what I'm getting at here having real devotion, having real intimacy with Christ, actually spending time with him, actually praying. And the second part of real devotion is from James 4, 7. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So uh, the reason I share that verse is to say we need to reject sin. Okay, we need to take sin seriously and pursue holiness and reject its place in our lives and not just let it hang out in our hearts, but instead say, God purge this out of my life. If you do those things, you're going to be devoted to Jesus. If you're intimate with him, if you reject sin, I promise you'll have real devotion and you'll conquer alongside Christ. But there's more to conquering than just devotion. Uh, the second thing is real community. So 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then in, in John chapter 13, it, it says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you and you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So like Christ, we, we lay down our lives in sacrificial love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and we love others more than we love ourselves. So we must resist the temptation to gossip, slander, hurt one another, and instead we must commit to loving each other. And this is everybody in this room you gossiped about someone else in this room, I encourage you tonight to repent. Okay, we need to love one another. Christ said the way that the world knows that we're his disciples is if we love one another, if we wash each other's feet. And sometimes as Christians, I'm not talking about spe or specifically Kyle, but just as Christians in America, we don't love each other that well. Like no one's compelled by our love for one another. They're like, hey, their churches are always splitting, they're always fighting, and they're, and they're griping about the style of worship or if the pastor's a good enough preacher. There's no love. But God calls us to conquer alongside Christ, which looks like real, loving, deep community. Okay, so I encourage you, and for those introverts, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. You don't want to hang out with anybody. Like, these last couple of days have been glorious for you. You've been like, 
Oh, yeah, sitting in my room and watching TV or just having quiet time, which is, I love doing that, turning off the TV, just sitting there. Like, and some of you love that. But God says we need each other, right? And we need to love one another. So I encourage you, if you want to conquer alongside Christ, to commit to community. Third thing is real responsibility. It's from Matthew chapter 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So like Christ, we need to be a faithful and true witness who proclaims the gospel to all of creation. We need to take responsibility for the mission of God. Every day at this university, every day you're coming across people who don't know Christ, who have never heard his name, even international students who live in countries that are completely closed to Christianity. I encourage you, if you want to conquer alongside Christ, if you want to be delivered from spiritual apathy, you have to take responsibility and say, if I don't say anything, who will? If I don't share God's love with them, who is going to? Like, heaven and hell is not just an idea that we talk about, like, you know, like, or Satan with his horns, and then Jesus with the halo thingy on his head, I don't know, or the, the white Jesus, that's what I think of with the blonde hair, that's not what Jesus looked like, but anyways, it's not like, you know, floating on a cloud or being with a scary Halloween costume. Instead, it's real. There's heaven, which is eternity with God, which is everything we could ever dream of. And there's hell, which is separation from every good thing that God has ever created. And we need to take it seriously. We need to take responsibility for making disciples. So I encourage you, if you want to conquer alongside Christ, to say, I'm going to give my life to pushing the gospel forward. And that doesn't look like necessarily full-time ministry, although I'd be glad to welcome you into that. It's a fun life. But it can also look like just sharing your faith in the marketplace, sharing your faith in the school system. I know that's difficult, but there's ways to do it. It can look like just living out your faith as an average, ordinary American. And people asking you, why do you live your life the way that you do? And then leading them towards Christ. Okay? But the point is we have to take responsibility for, for the mission of God. In summary, if we want to conquer, we have to be intimate with Jesus and reject sin, so real devotion. We have, to, we have to sacrificially love one another, so, so real community. And we have to take responsibility for the mission of God. All right? So the main idea, again, is this tonight. To move the mountain of spiritual apathy, we must take responsibility for our faith. I believe that Jesus is calling each of you, each, here's the thing, Sometimes I get to this point, I start challenging people, and, and you're like, hey, yeah, like that applies to that guy, because he's a you know, good Christian, but it you know, does not apply to me. I'm just pretty screwed up, I'm pretty messed up. You know, that applies to the smarter leaders in Kyle, but not me. No, this applies to all of us. I believe that Jesus wants us to go all in, to give everything for our faith, to put him as the top priority. That doesn't mean you don't take other things seriously. I'm not saying you only care about things that are religious, all right? I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is everything falls under the lordship of Jesus, okay? So I talked about school, I talked about family, I talked about sports. All of them fall under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I encourage you tonight to embrace that life because I have found that every time we put Christ first and we let everything else fall underneath, actually all those things are more enjoyable because we're not expecting them to be our God. We're not putting our hope in those things anymore. Instead, they're just... Uh, good things that God has given us to enjoy. And they don't have the pressure of being our Lord and Savior. 
only Jesus can carry that pressure and only he can come through. So tonight I encourage you to say, I am going to reject apathy. I'm going to make the most of my time in college. I'm going to give everything I can to see every single person I talk to come to Christ. I'm going to give everything I can to spend as much time with Jesus as I can every day, as much time as I can. They don't just say, hey, I'm going to do the verse of the day and call it good. No, I encourage you, if you have free time, say, I'm going back to be with Jesus. I'm going back to be with him because he is the best person to hang out with. I encourage you to not just let sin reign in your life because sin distorts God's image in you. It distorts God's plan for you. I pray that you would say, I'm going to get this virus out of my life, whatever it takes. Like, just like when you're uh, sick, you're going to go to the doctor, right? You're going to get some medicine because you don't want to keep being sick. But for so many of us, we let sin reign in our lives and, and we let it destroy us. We don't even care. We don't even uh, repent. We don't try to get free of it. We don't try to get help. We don't confess to our friends. But God is calling us to reject sin tonight. I believe God is calling us to take responsibility for our faith. So maybe you're here tonight and you're really apathetic about Jesus because he's not your Lord. You've never said, hey, I'm a Christian. You've never put your faith in him. And if that's you, you're probably like, these people are crazy. But I want to encourage you tonight. If you're here and you don't have a, a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you with this, that Jesus has never been apathetic about you. He has never, ever been apathetic about you. He knows everything about you. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows every sin you've ever committed. He knows every good time you've had. He knows it all. And he still decided to go all the way to the cross for your sins. He says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you, even in your apathy. So tonight, I encourage you, if that's you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, to say, Jesus, I'm going to accept the most radical act of responsibility ever by anyone when you came and died for me by putting my trust and my faith in you and, and giving it all to you. And that doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I'm not asking you to be perfect tonight. I'm, I'm asking you to lean into Jesus and say, Jesus, be my king and be my Lord. And he promises, he promises if we put our faith in him, if we put our trust in him, he will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to save us. And we get to spend eternity with God. It's pretty incredible, right? He does all the work. Even when we're apathetic, he does all the work. And all we have to do is just trust him throw our faith into him, and it says he'll save us. So tonight, if that's you, I want you to put your faith in Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that. If you could all stand with me, we're going to close out. <clears throat> As a community, I believe that God is calling each of us, every person, not just leaders, but every person in this room to take responsibility for our faith, to do everything we can to see the gospel taken forth to do everything we can to be intimate with Jesus. But tonight it starts with recognizing that there's a deep spiritual need in our heart, okay? Like realizing we can't do it on our own. And it starts with realizing that apathy is a sin. And then we respond by throwing everything into Christ, by conquering alongside him. So I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here tonight, and when I talked about and when I talked about putting your faith in Jesus, if you're not a Christian and you came here tonight, or maybe you once were and you walked away, and I talked about putting your faith in him, and you want to do that, I believe a great way to do that is just to signal to God by raising your hand and just saying, God, I want to put my faith in you. Because there's no magic you know, formula to recite to be saved. Instead, you just say, I trust you. So tonight we're going to do that. And there's nobody looking around, okay? So I'm going to count to three. 
And when I do, I want you to slip up your hand and just say, and all you're doing is saying, Jesus, I trust you. I put my faith in you, and I want you to save me. Okay, so one, two, three, put your hands up all across this room. I see that hand, I see that hand. Is there anyone else in this room? I see that hand. Is there anyone else? All right, you can put your hands down. And all I'm going to do is just pray a simple prayer of trust and of putting our faith in Christ. There's nothing magical about it. All right, Jesus, tonight we just ask you to save us. Jesus, we ask you to, to do a work in our heart, to, uh, to make us a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. God, tonight we place our faith in you and we ask you to forgive us and to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. And then the second group is this tonight. If you're here and you realize you're apathetic and you realize you are putting things over God, you're putting things of this world over God, I believe that tonight two things, or two things need to happen. One, you need to recognize it and raise your hand and give that to God. But also, I believe we need to have about five to ten minutes here of unapathetic worship. Unapathetic. Okay, giving it all to him. Just the other day, I was in my office and I had a lot of stress. I was just stressed out about stuff and I was like, oh, I just want to scream right now to God because I'm so stressed out. And all I did because I was in my office and there's you know, people around, I said, I just went, started doing that with Jesus because I just needed to let it off my chest. So, and there's something about just letting loose a little bit that, that sparks something in your heart. So tonight, I want to take this opportunity of being in this space where you don't have a time limit to just worship Jesus and to maybe go, let it out. All right, so I'm going to pray. Uh, just raise your hands right now if you want to you know, give apathy to Christ. All right, Jesus, tonight you see our apathy, you see our sin, and you realize uh, that, that none of us are perfect and you don't expect us to be. But God, I pray that you would just uh, deposit a drive and a passion into each one of our hearts and to help us not to be apathetic about you any longer. Uh, so Jesus, give us a fresh revelation of your love and your passion for us and spark something in this community to, uh, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.